Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community General Osteopathic, and West Shore Hospitals. More information on our locations is available at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Almost 16 years of war in Afghanistan and years of combat in Iraq has left many veterans coming home suffering from the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Even more veterans with symptoms of PTSD is still not understood uh, every very well, and there's a stigma attached to PTSD, so many aren't seeking treatment. June is PTSD Awareness Month. Post-traumatic stress disorder is currently defined as a mental health condition that may develop after exposure to severely traumatic events. Symptoms can appear immediately or years after the events. Survivors may face years of residual trauma through flashbacks, dreams, and many other symptoms. If left untreated, PTSD can result in depression, severe anxiety, substance abuse, and unfortunately, suicide. On today's Smart Talk, we'll discuss PTSD and a writing workshop that helps those who are suffering from PTSD. We have a full house today. Joining us, Scott Hauer is a veteran and founder of Right Face. Annie Ginder is a journaling in instructor with Right Face. Mike Clemens is a mentor and uh, also with Lancaster County Veterans Court and Republican State Representative Tom Mart of Montgomery County is also joining us as well. I want to welcome everyone to the program today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. If, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Representative Murd, I want to start with you because I want to talk in um, like some, some, some broad areas here before we get into Right Face and uh, what, how veterans can benefit from, from Right Face. Uh, you served in Iraq. You were in the um, uh, reserves for years, but you served in Iraq. Uh, you have been very involved in veterans affairs here in Pennsylvania. Tell me about that. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's something that you're very passionate about. Uh, first of all, Scott, thank you and uh, thank all the uh, people on the line that have been so active in this, this mission. Uh, I was an Army reservist for 20 years, and uh, uh, in 2003, I was called to active duty. I was working full time at Penn State University. And uh, I was uh, deployed on 24 hours notice, called active duty, sent to Fort Drum, and uh, trained for a couple weeks and then sent to uh, Iraq. And the reserve and the guard were in there uh, before many of the regular Army units. So our guard and our reserve are a very uh, integral part of of the military uh, tempo. You hit it right on the head, Scott, when you talked about our military sustaining what they call an operational tempo for a long period of time. And this is unprecedented in the history of the United States with many service members deploying multiple times to combat zones, either Iraq or Afghanistan, placing them at very high risk for for post-traumatic stress. And uh, I have had fellow veterans, uh, I have had friends, I have had people in my unit uh, that have all uh, come up with with post traumatic stress. Uh, some, uh, many of these people have. Uh, when I was in Iraq, I kept a very meticulous journal, and uh, I kept a lot of details about where we were in different times. I was stationed at Camp Spiker in Tikrit, and uh, a lot of the, the my my friends from the 442, which is a reserve unit in Belfont, would call me and say, hey, can you check the journal? I need to know about this engagement, who was there, because when you apply for VA benefits, uh, you have to give as many details as you have. And uh, it's not surprising whatsoever that so many of our veterans are coming up with with post-traumatic stress. And you also were very accurate in in assessing that this is an uh, under-diagnosed disorder, uh, mental illness, if you will, and uh, in the context of the military, at least in the Army, because that's my, my uh, knowledge base, uh, 
a lot of soldiers don't come forward because it's not so different from the civilian side of the house where there is a stigma. There's absolutely a stigma to uh, having a, a disorder or a mental illness, and uh, you don't you you want to be taken seriously as a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a marine or a coast guardsman, and uh, if the army knows that you have some mental health challenges, uh, you might be assigned some uh, less uh, challenging uh, tasks. People, as I said, may not take you seriously. They may question your uh, your abilities and so forth. So th- this is a very serious issue, and. Uh, uh, we have to do a better job of getting our veterans uh, to counseling and, and therapy and uh, medication if it's needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you, you we know, have to encourage them to come forward, too. Something that uh, you just said, Representative, that uh, and I'm not going to compare eras because, um, you know, you hear from World War II veterans, Vietnam veterans. But the two veterans we have in our studio today are Vietnam era veterans. And one of the things that is different that uh, you you mentioned is that, uh, yeah, Vietnam is probably when we first started hearing about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, at least in that that terminology. I mean, there was, in World War II, other wars, there were uh, ways that uh, shell shock was a way that uh, it was described. But one of the big differences between Vietnam and the, the other wars before Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan, there, there's multiple deployments. Representative, I mean, in your mind, in your observations uh, with your colleagues, those that uh, you were in combat with, uh, is that one of the reasons that we are seeing more, or is it just that we are recognizing it more? Boy, that, that's a really good question. Uh, I would say both. Uh, number one, uh, there is a stigma to uh, people that have mental health challenges. There's no question about it. Things have gotten better. Uh, the stigma is not as profound as it was 20 or 30 years ago, uh, but there is still a, a stigma. And in addition to that, you know, a mental illness or a disorder such as post-traumatic stress cannot be uh, cannot be uh, fixed with an X-ray and the, the same right. way that you would treat somebody with a broken arm. Sometimes it takes months and years of therapy and uh, meeting with a, a counselor. Uh, to talk about uh, the issues and trying to resolve them. And to be honest with you, sometimes, you know, people uh, don't have time for it. They say, I'm trying to uh, pay my bills and raise my family and take care of my kids, and I don't have time to go to the therapist every week, or I can't afford it, or it's too far away, and I'm just going to deal with this on my own. And, you know, I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, Lots of guys who – you know, who who come up with, and I shouldn't say guys because females yeah. have post-traumatic stress also, but there's lots of people with post-traumatic stress that self-medicate, that, you know, they find other ways to deal with their, uh, to deal with their, their disorder. And, you know, God bless our, our Vietnam veterans because, you know, when, when they came home, nobody even wanted nope. to, to hear the story, let alone, uh, you know, to, to help these guys. And, uh, you know, I, I think, in my opinion, not, not to get off the topic, but that is a very shameful chapter in U.S. history when these guys and, and these women came home from Vietnam and they were mistreated and, you know, they were not encouraged to, uh, you know, be proud of their service and, uh, you know, called baby killers and, and spit on and things like that. It was really a very, very difficult time. But, uh, but. Uh, I, I would say to answer your question, uh, Scott, uh, it's 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 both. Uh, you know, the stigma is still there, and uh, you know, it, it is when if you are in with both feet and you want to be uh, to to really be in a recovery mode with post traumatic stress. And some of the you know the therapists would know this better than me, but you know, it could be years in therapy just to to have someone uh, peel back the onion. Uh, so to speak, and to understand, now, why are you feeling this way? You know, oh, it's survivor's guilt, and this is possibly the source of your post-traumatic stress. And, you know, just to to tell you a personal story, I have an uncle, my mom's brother, who was a Pearl Harbor survivor, and he lived his life, I'm just going to call it, he lived in a rage until the 1980s when uh, he was able to connect with a doctor who uh, put him on some medication, and he finally it had a very calming effect on him. But from 1941, I guess, until 
you know, he finally was able to come to grips with this post-traumatic stress. He had six children, and, you know, living in that family was no picnic for my cousins mm-hmm. or my aunt. So, uh, and these these dynamics still still exist. Uh, yeah. And it is something that, uh, it, as you're suggesting, it can show up years later, too. It's not just immediately after uh, your home that uh, you're back in the United States that uh, you're, you're noticing these symptoms, even though some are. And let me take the, uh, the opportunity for a little plug here, talking about Vietnam. Ken Burns, filmmaker Ken Burns, uh, has a monumental documentary coming up uh, this fall on Vietnam that we will air here on WITF. It's over 10 nights, uh, 18 hours, probably the most extensive um, documentary on Vietnam. So, and WITF will be a lot doing a lot with Vietnam, but something that Representative Merp mentioned about coming home. Uh, Scott Howard, you were uh, a, a veteran in that era. And uh, one of the things I've learned, just as um, Representative Mert uh, suggested, that uh, many Vietnam-era veterans weren't welcome home. So welcome home. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You uh, were the founder of Right Face. I'm the co-founder of Right co-founder Face. Co-founder in, <laughs> in Lancaster. And uh, first of all, before we get into Right Face and what it does and the good that it does. Tell me your story about uh, where you were stationed and what you went through. If I may, I would like to say thank you to uh, Representative Mert for his for yeah. our freedoms. Okay, he served as well. Uh, and I wanted to point out that at right face, the D in PTSD is doesn't mean anything. We do not consider PTSD a disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay, we make that quite clear. Uh, PTSD is a normal response in Whiteface's way of looking at things given the circumstances that cause it. Mm-hmm. So your time in, uh, you were not actually in Vietnam. No, I was in Thailand. I was in, I'm an Air Force vet. Um, I left Southeast Asia in 1973 when the, the peace treaty was signed, um, and I had issues. Uh, well, I didn't know I had issues. What kind of issues? Uh, this anger issues, some sleep issues, uh, really bad startled respect, re- reflex, which is still there. Uh, yeah, all the classic stuff, but because I was Air Force, I didn't think I had any right to them. And, and you, that, were in Thail- that, you were in Thailand, too. Yes, that was the purview of the Army and the Marines, and, you know, just Air Force guys don't have PTSD, you know. Uh, well, 19 years later, I got a, into an automobile accident, and the trauma from that started some flashbacks, which I had never had before, okay? And the whole flashback thing was very traumatic because uh, no matter what I did, I could not stop them. And the idea that you cannot control your own thought processes scared me to death. <laughs> but but flashbacks to what? You were, what was your, your job? And I was a munitions technician. I built all the bombs and stuff. There was somewhere close to 60,000, uh, 502,000 pound bombs flown out of my base uh, just during my shift uh, where I was stationed at in Thailand. And they all went somewhere. <laughs> uh, so you, you thought about that a lot? Yes, I did. Yeah, and there was also uh, some violence that I witnessed while I was there, uh, military type violence uh, that yeah, I don't want to alliterate on right, today. Right. I understand. <laughs> okay. I understand. But uh, I got to take a break. But I th- th- want to come back and then talk about co-founding Right Face and what it does, and then you know we'll talk a little bit more about uh, PTSD. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for 16 clinical trials. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart. Welcome back to Smart Talk. June is PTSD Awareness Month. We're talking about uh, PTSD and uh, a program in Lancaster County that uh, many veterans are taking advantage of uh, to deal with their PTSD through writing. And uh, it has had uh, a great impact on, on many people. Joining us is Scott Hauer, who is a veteran and co-founder of Right Face. Annie Ginder is a journaling instructor with Right Face. Mike Clemens, a mentor and uh, with Lancaster County Veterans Court and Republican State Representative Tom Burt of Montgomery County, who was involved in many veterans' issues. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Uh, we also are on Twitter, at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Uh, Scott Howard, you were talking about your time in Southeast Asia, so you said that uh, you just did not feel right. Uh, you were having, you c- couldn't control your thoughts. So you said you were involved in this accident, and that sounds like it was a turning point. Yes, it was. What did uh, you do after that? My issues were no longer deniable after that accident. Uh, I got myself into some counseling with an outfit through the VA called Base Camp. Uh, I expected out of that. I expected my counselor to fix me, okay? Uh, and then after a year or so of that, of weekly sessions, and I still wasn't fixed, you know, I just kind of accidentally started writing one day. and Writing about what? My experiences and, you know, how I felt about things. They were kind of very crude and just you know, uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and we... Rereading them after I had written them, and I said, "Well, oh, there were certain realizations that I was able to come to, and I found it very cathartic." Uh, and over the years, you know, I, it just I just kept doing it, and I found it rewarding and cathartic, you know. And I slowly, over time, figured out ways to manage most of my issues with. Uh, my Southeast Asia experienced. So, but then you formed this organization. I don't know if it's organization is the right way to refer to it or not. Yes, right we are a bona fide five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. And you found that other veterans uh, suffering from PTSD that uh, it had the same impact on them. Uh, yes, uh, uh, so far, yes, yeah, so good. We've uh, approaching a hundred veterans that have been through our to our program and to a person they all say they have gotten a lot out of it. Well, Mike Clemens, uh, as I said, he's a mentor and with Lancaster County Veterans Court, and we're going to talk about Veterans Court in a few minutes, Mike, but you have been through Right Face through the program twice. What did you get out of it? I got out of it the um, feeling of uh, being normal. I got out of it um, the almost uh, guidance to doing things the right way. It actually uh, caused uh, my family to have a a custom. Uh, Every Sunday, instead of watching TV while we're eating dinner, we turn the TV off and we go around roundtable and we share things that's written or things that we have observed as a family uh, during the week. And it actually caused a new custom to be in my family, which we love and enjoy, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's just so therapeutic and so good. I have a best buddy. I call him a brother from another mother. <laughs> that he um, uh, He's a Silver Star winner. His name is Bob Chavu. He's a Silver Star winner from Vietnam. And uh, he started writing a book, which is going to be published pretty soon. And Bob said he wished there was a such thing as right face when he came out because it 
allowed him to bring out his feelings, allowed him to write about the wars, his fears mostly, right? And it literally almost taught him how to be normal. And he says, I know I'll never be normal, but writing comes in. It takes something out of me that makes me feel better. You know. Now, just to clarify, you have m- not been diagnosed with PTSD, no. uh, but you work with many veterans who have, both men and women. Almost every man and woman I work with has it, Be uh, especially now, and uh, the representative stated that they go to the war two and three times. It's just ridiculous how many times they have to go to the war. And me personally, I believe they ought to bring their draft back because it's not fair for people to... Uh, be subject to that kind of pressure for that many years. They didn't expect them to come home and walk down the street and be normal. I, I, I was at a, up here in Harrisburg, I was at a seminar last year, and uh, one of the officers, right, said that she was there for, in Afghanistan for something like 15 months, and she came back, and her husband says, here, this is a gown, we're going to uh, uh, a dance. And she says, you're wearing the, ga- the gown. She says, I've been in the field uh, getting a bath once every 10 days. I'm not wearing nothing like that, you know. But she had it, you know what I mean? She had the post-traumatic, you know. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's how they're coming back, you know. And I think we ought to afford them um, the help they need. And not only them the help, the uh, people that support them, the caregivers and the family, they need help too. Do the families understand what the veterans are going through? A lot of times, no, because a lot of times the veterans won't even discuss it with them because they they have a guilt feeling about leaving their buddies there. They have feelings that um, um, they're ashamed. Uh, some of the guys have done things that they really are ashamed of, you know, and they don't want to discuss it with anybody. And, and they go for years and years before they even speak about it. And that's what makes this writing so great it comes out it gives them that release you know and that's what it is it just like you take a pressure cooker and you open the valve a little bit you know and that's what it does you okay. know. and again let me bring you into the conversation here you work with many of these veterans with their writing uh, I imagine you're not correcting their grammar or anything like that. That's Absolutely not. <laughs> that is one of the things uh, we say right off the bat. We don't care about your punctuation. This is not your regular Spelling. English class. I'm, Spelling. Jo- I'm joking yeah, with you. But none of that matters. You, you kind of give them a prompt, though. You give the veterans a prompt as to write what to write about. What do they write about? Well, let me say this. A lot of our work is informed by a woman named Kathleen Adams, who is the founder and director of the Center for Journal Therapy. And she was working back in the 80s with veterans, and they were all writing. They were writing their hearts out. And what they what she discovered was that they weren't feeling any better. They were sharing this with their pastors, their mentors, their psychotherapist, and they weren't feeling any better. Because when you write, uh, when you free write, a lot of times you can re-traumatize yourself. You can write yourself right back into that place that you're trying to get out of. So she developed something called the journal ladder. And the journal ladder uh, was developed, and it, uh, it creates a lot of structure, and it creates a certain amount of pacing and containment. So you're starting out with writing that is very, uh, sometimes it's timed, sometimes it's very short, Um, And then you're working your way back up to the free writing, which is really at the end of the journal ladder. So that is one way that we create some safety within our writing. Um, One of the things that uh, probably our utmost concern for the veterans is their safety. So, See, that's not a word that many people would associate with writing. Correct. (laughs) I, I mean, but when you're talking about safety... You said that, uh, you know, if there's not this guidance, if there's not structure, that a lot of veterans will go back to what traumatized them. They can. If, if, they, if there is that safety factor, if they're, they're prompted, what do they write about then? Well, um, we give them prompts such as um, one of the first writing classes that we did, we, we sometimes will read a poem. So we read uh, a poem called uh, This Delight Song of... I'm not exactly sure, but it's by Scott Namaday. And it's a series of I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. And then we have them write I am and, and write as many I am sentences as they can. So they are sentence stems, very short, very sweet. 
very safe. And what we'll have them do is maybe pick one of them and then try to expand, like, whichever one is speaking to them most, whichever one resonates with them the most, and we'll have them expand on that. So one of our first classes, uh, one of our veterans wrote, and we have permission to share this. I just wanted to, because that's another thing that's a safety uh, factor is we don't want to take anything out of the class that what happens in right face classes stays in right face classes, you know? Um, But we have permission to share what he wrote. And he wrote, I am broken and I am the only one who can fix me, but I am broken. It was that short. That sweet and that heart wrenching. Mm, Really is. Let's take a phone call from Mary in Camp Hill. Mary, you're on the air. Hello, Mary. All right. I think Mary uh, no longer on the line. But uh, if you would like to call in and tell a story or uh, something that you can relate to, uh, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Uh, we have a, an email here from a listener who says, Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're addressing support for veterans and trauma on the program. I hope you also make it clear to your listeners that trauma isn't only faced by veterans. It also is something mm-hmm. experienced by kids who grew up in neighborhoods with chronic violence, and now it's being shown there are traumatic effects of living within racist systems and, of course, by survivors of uh, sexual assault. I'm hearing a need to take trauma seriously and start addressing it from the and from people like teachers and parents in schools. Can your guests comment on whether they feel like there are challenges or solutions in common between veterans and the kids who are acting out in schools because of trauma? And I did want to bring this up because uh, obviously what we're talking about today is a program that is geared toward veterans. But we know that there are many, many people, not just children, but uh, as uh, the listener suggested, uh, women who have uh, been victims of sexual assault, uh, I, I know of people who have just gone through divorce, divorces, have been abused by uh, their their former spouses. So we do know that this is something that occurs not just in the military, but this program is geared toward the military, correct? Correct. Yes. And uh, I wonder, you know, someone listening to this today uh, who maybe has been diagnosed with PTSD, maybe hasn't been diagnosed, never was in the military, never in a war zone, maybe writing is something that uh, can help them as well. Representative Murr, I want to turn back to you for just a moment. You mentioned that you kept a diary or or a a journal. Now, I, I wonder how helpful that was to you in getting through your time in Iraq. Well, uh, that's a good question, Scott. Scott, when I was in Iraq, believe it or not, I was 44 years old. And uh, I was, uh, as I mentioned, an Army reservist. Uh, My uh, reserve unit was at the Willow Grove Naval Air Station just outside Philadelphia, where I live. And uh, I was a little bit older. I was uh, one of the oldest uh, people in the entire battalion. And, uh, you know, I just, I knew that this was a historic event. And, uh you know, I wanted to, uh, I had it in the back of my mind that uh, we were going to see some very interesting, some historic things happen, and uh, I'd like to write a book about it someday. And uh, so I just, uh, it was therapeutic. Uh, I, that's not really the reason I did it. I just really wanted to keep a very uh, good, uh, detailed record of everything we did, all the places we went, the things we, we've seen, the incidents that happened. And uh, I'm I'm really happy I did. And to, in retrospect, yes, it was therapeutic, and it was good to be able to to write every day. Uh, it was a um, a tool to decompress and to kind of put your thoughts on paper. And uh, it was something that you know I, I look forward to uh, every day. Mm-hmm. And I still have in the back of my mind that I, I would like to. To, to write that book. Uh, we, we have a, an email here, and this is the same listener. And, uh, Representative, I'll ask you about uh, what programs the state has, but then ask our panel as, as well. What can civilians do to better to be better partners with veterans coming home from our current wars? Uh, you know, Representative Mert, first of all, I'll have you address that. What can, what can civilians do and I, I think that, uh, you know, Mike kind of hit the nail on the head that because one of the things that's different between Vietnam and the wars that in Afghanistan and Iraq is because not everyone has served or knows someone who has served. It's, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But what about civilians? And then I'll ask about state government, what state government is doing and can do. 
the first question is a good one. And, and I'll tell you, I, and the answer is going to surprise you a little bit. But for people who want to help our military personnel, our reservists, our guardsmen, or our regular component military personnel who get deployed, I will tell you that take care of their families back home. If a soldier or a Marine or a sailor or an airman or a Coast Guardsman exactly. has uh, a wife and children, you know, I was lucky because I lived in a, in a small town called Hatboro. And, uh, you know, my kids were playing soccer and Little League and basketball. And, you know, my wife, my wife was cast into being a single parent pretty much overnight. Uh, you know, I, I had to report to Fort Drum on 24 hours notice. And, uh, you know, she's responsible for, you know, she was, she's a, she was a nurse. She still is a nurse. She was working, and all of a sudden, you know, she's doing books, bath, and bed every night with the kids and helping with homework and getting them to practice and getting them to the games. And there were so many good people in the home, my hometown that, you know, that, that stepped up and, and were helping my wife with, with those kinds of uh, tasks. Can I interrupt and, uh, for just one second? Because, sure. Mike, when you said that, uh, Mike Clemens was nodding his head and said, exactly. What do you mean? What, what do you want to add, Mike? That the public can help uh, that veteran family um, that uh, he's uh, deployed, and uh, just give a little hand. Just even sometimes, just go up to the guy, the people, and say hello. How you doing? You know, and it's so important because uh, one of the things I go on, I go on what we call living history. And 15 of us go to the high schools in Lancaster County and the middle schools in Lancaster County. And as returning veterans from the Vietnam era and the Vietnam War, those kids thank us. Those kids say, you know, you did it for us, you know. And that, that is a better uh, greeting than we got during the 60s and 70s, you know. And it's, it's not much you, could, you have to do. Just... Just be concerned and uh, take care of their brother. And then, can I say something to uh, Representative Mert? Thank you for your help uh, in all of the things that you do th- for the veterans and for mental health. You are my hero. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank Mine you, as well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what about the state? I mean, we know that the government can't solve all problems, but uh, what about the, the role of government and state government in particular? Well, I, I, here's a relative to post-traumatic stress. Uh, we have to make sure that veterans don't have to jump through 25 hoops to get to counseling, to get to therapy, to get to people that can help them. We have to make uh, the services more available, more outreach. Uh, we have to treat the veterans uh, when they, as soon as they come home, uh, sign them up for VA benefits right away if, if, they're, uh, if they qualify. And uh, in addition to that, in parts of this Commonwealth that are very rural, part, parts of Sullivan County, Tioga County, and, and other parts, uh, sometimes a veteran might be an hour's ride from a therapist, and it's like, I can't go there every week. If that's the, the, the case, then uh, a veteran should be permitted to see a civilian therapist or a counselor to help him or her with post-traumatic stress. That arrangement should be easy to to set up. Uh, you shouldn't have to jump through a lot of hoops and to prove that, well, the closest VA is in Altoona, and I, and I can't go there but twice a month. And twice a month is not going to help you with post-traumatic stress. You know, you you really uh, you really need to be seeing somebody on a uh, on on a regular basis. Hey, and, S- uh, Scott, let me ask you uh, for those veterans who are involved in the Right Face uh, program: Are there those who are also getting treatment? Otherwise, are there those that uh, this is their only form of uh, how they're dealing with it? Most of our uh, folks that we serve uh, are receiving uh, counseling treatment as well. Uh, there have been a few that are not, but most of them have. I have a, an email here, and as Scott was directed to you, and said to Scott Howard's point about calling PTSD a disorder, I propose we call it PTSR, where R stands for response. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say thank you for the <laughs> to the representative Burt for dropping the D the last time he mentioned it. He called it post traumatic stress. Okay, thank you very much. I, th- I think that is a every everybody makes a, a, a very good point about it being a normal response. I mean, if you put someone in combat yeah. for 
an extended period of time, what do you expect? They're they're not they're going to come home different. Uh, they've seen they've seen trauma. They've experienced trauma. They've seen carnage. They've seen some very ugly things that you just can't forget when you're you you return to your your small hometown. And uh, you know these images uh, stay with you for a long long time, sometimes forever. So it is a normal response to to being in combat. There's no question about it. And Scott, of course, you make a very good point when you say that. Uh, victims of violent crime, women who are victims of sexual assault, uh, sexual violence, uh, post-traumatic stress is a very real uh, part of their life, their life too. Let's take a call from Ken in New Oxford. Ken, you're on the air. Yes, I'm also a veteran, and the veterans know that we take an oath of office. And that oath is to defend and fight for the United States Constitution. Till death, do it, whether domestic whether domestic or abroad. And people don't understand to this day that Timothy McVeigh, all of the atrocities he did, he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. He was a purple heart from Desert Storm. And he took his oath so seriously to the extreme. But nobody understands this man that to the day that he died, he made his bed, made his bed military style the day that he was executed. So he took his oath so seriously but nobody understands this man, and there's so many veterans out here now that don't understand, or the people don't understand what veterans go through because war is hell. Well, Ken, we have I, to fight and we have to kill. I think it's it, I think it's hard to have any kind of compassion for, uh, right. uh, you know, be, Tim McVeigh because he did kill hundreds, you know, more than a hundred people, right. including children too. Right. But uh, it is it is an example of left untreated. You know, this is the extreme of of what could happen. Hey, Ken, thank you very much for your for your call. Uh, Maria is in Lancaster. Maria, you're on the air. Hi, I just wanted to bring up that you you had mentioned some other people who aren't haven't been in a war zone or been in the military having PTSD, and I'm one of those people um, from early childhood trauma. But most of my life, I didn't realize. I had this, and you have some very detrimental behaviors that result, things that come out later, and certain people that will trigger things and causes a lot of problems in your life. I'm still dealing with it, and I still am in regular therapy. It's helped a lot, but it doesn't, it doesn't just go away. Um, I wanted to mention... You know, there is therapy, and there are people like me that that have this, that were never in the military but had a horrible home life. Well, Maria, I'm glad you called in because it did uh, it did remind a lot of people, it does remind a lot of people that it, it's not just the military. Uh, you know, as we've discussed, that uh, many people have uh, suffered traumatic events in their life. And let me just ask you, uh, since you uh, have gotten treatment, uh, does it help? Yes, it does. It helps a lot, and you start you start being able to see the behaviors that you've you've had, and when that when these um, triggers happen, you start being able to see it and understand in the moment. Then, once you start seeing that, you can help to change those things. But until you understand what you have and see it, you can't really address those issues and so you have behaviors that are really not productive mm -hmm. and interfere with your life well, Mar Mar go ahead it helps very much yes but you you have to go through a lot of painful stuff because you gotta you have to recall what's happened and study it almost god bless you you seem like you're on the right track keep at it Maria, I am. <laughs> thank you very much for your call, and uh, best wishes, good luck to you. But, uh, you know, that is a great example, because just what she described there, uh, whether you're a veteran or not, mm -hmm. but her response to the traumatic events, you can hear the pain in her voice, but that, that, you, uh, that, that, that she's getting treatment. But And I don't know which of the three of you, or maybe Representative Mert, want to uh, answer this, but she used the word trigger, and you've used the word trigger several times. 
is that how this actually occurs sometimes when, I mean, when you suffer uh, from the effects of uh, post-traumatic stress, that uh, there is something that triggers it, reminds you of uh, your time in combat or the traumatic event? Boy, that is a good question. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, uh, it can be, but not all the time. Sometimes it is... uh, Waking up in a dark room, not knowing where you are, thinking you're on a, you are in a bunker or in the barracks someplace. Uh, sometimes it's the smell of diesel fuel uh, from an army truck or a Humvee. For me, uh, it's the smell of dried calamari. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, that, that could be traumatic to begin with. <laughs> uh, so it, it could be uh, it could be something uh, along those lines. Uh, I know when I first came home in 2004, uh, the Fourth of July uh, was very very difficult the first time. You know, my wife and I took the kids to a Fourth yeah. of July celebration, and it was a very good one. I mean, there were things blowing up and bright colors. Incoming. It, it, it was, yeah, it was incoming. And, yes. you know, my wife knew. She said, are you all right? I said, I, I don't think so. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, but so, yeah, it could be a trigger like that. And sometimes it's something a little more subtle. Scott, uh, you said, you had said that uh, you still s- suffer from startle. That uh, Yes, you, and I, I share the, the, the representative's uh, thing about the 4th of July. I go take my grandchildren to them every year but it's something that when it's all over with I'm glad it's over (laughs) Uh, uh, it is a stressful thing and I have to sit there and willfully overpower (laughs) really have to work on it Annie you look like you wanted to say something well I was going to say that one of the things we know with writing is that um You know, when somebody suffers from PTSD, their brain is constantly going to the survival mechanisms. That's what they're trained to do, and that's what they need to do in order to survive in combat. But what we know about, there's so much research being done on the brain, but we know that with the writing process, you start accessing your prefrontal cortex, which is your reasoning part of your brain. So the more that we are able to... Uh, get the veterans to do the writing to slow down that process in their brain the stronger those neural pathways come become and then after a while they can start accessing that part of their brain more freely than the survival mode of their brain even when they're not writing even when they're not writing yes. okay so that's what I was, I was wondering we're almost out of time for this portion of the show and I, I want to thank you go ahead we're going Could to say I, one thing we are in need of money to keep this program going. We don't want to see this program go to the side, uh, side of the road. We'd like to have, have this program financed for a couple more years, and uh, that's, that's one of the appeals I have. Well, one thing for those who maybe are veterans and would like to take advantage of this, how can they, uh, how can they become a part of the Right Face program? Uh, we have a website, rightface.org. You can contact better. us there. Uh, and right face is R W R I T E. Yes, right. Uh, clever name. <laughs> uh, and we're also on Facebook. Well, you can contact us through there as well. I want to thank all four of you for being with us today. Thank you for your service and everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, everybody. Keep I up know, the good work. I know you have a meeting, Representative Mertz. So I'll let you go. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks for a great program. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, see you now. And again, thank you, and uh, good luck. Enjoy the 4th of July holiday, even though it sounds like it could be a v- bit of a challenge. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Fireworks may be a part of your 4th of July holiday weekend and Independence Day celebrations. While many will attend professional fireworks displays scheduled throughout the area, others will purchase fireworks from those temporary stands you see along heavily traveled roads. Fireworks in the hands of a non-professional can be dangerous. And what are Pennsylvania's laws related to fireworks? Joining us now is Pennsylvania's Fire Commissioner Tim Salabay. Commissioner Salabay, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. Thank you. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. All right, so I'm going to start with the the basic question. Uh, How dangerous can fireworks be? Well, you know, it it can be very dangerous, obviously, not only from the 
uh, percussion or the explosion side of it, but uh, oftentimes the heat generated from a lot of the type of fireworks that are legal in Pennsylvania that folks can use. And, and you know, when people ask what's the best what's the best solution, I say, as you said earlier, leave it to the professionals. We know that uh, that isn't always the case. Uh, so that if and when you decide that you're going to utilize fireworks, using the utmost safety, you know, making sure certain things are in place from open areas, nothing indoors, keeping children away. Please don't mix alcohol and fireworks. That's one of the worst-case scenarios uh, that could be out there. And, and make sure that uh, uh, you're using those that are legal within Pennsylvania. And basically, the legal ones in Pennsylvania, although – uh, as you were stating, either at the, the, the white tents that are out there or even the fixed facilities in the Commonwealth uh, that do sell co- consumer-grade fireworks, those really aren't legal for Pennsylvania residents. It's only those things that kind of have color and, and go off of the ground. As I say, nothing that goes boom is legally allowed to be used in Pennsylvania short of having a permit or being a professional uh uh, tech uh, uh, individual that works for uh, and uh, you know operates out of a uh, fireworks factory or, or um, some major fireworks producer. You know, I w- was wondering about that. I mean, so we are selling a product in Pennsylvania that really is not legal to use in many cases. It's ironic, isn't it? It very, it very much is. It's it's very true, and uh, there is some legislation being processed through right now that would allow for consumer-grade fireworks to be uh, uh, legal in Pennsylvania, and, and that's still going through the process in the legislature, and uh, nothing has been uh, uh, passed formally up, uh, till now. So really the only things that uh, that you and I as, as individuals are, are allowed legally to use are those things that uh, – uh, sparkle and and uh, make nice color off the ground, but nothing that gets shot up into the air or uh, anything that makes any noise or has any real explosive uh, uh, powder associated with it. Isn't it true that Pennsylvania has some of the most stringent laws when it comes to fireworks? Well, it does because, again, it only allows for those minimal uh, type uh, novelty items to be used. Although they have their uh, their bad side as well, you know, sparklers, uh, which is something that you see children constantly using and being lit by family members for them to kind of flash around at night, uh, have a very high uh, burn temperature, you know, higher than, than uh, most things that you would think. And, and you know, there's thousands of, of children, unfortunately, and individuals that get different burns throughout the course of the year using what's even legal here in Pennsylvania. What are the mo- the most common injuries that we see due to fireworks here in Pennsylvania? Yeah, uh, it's it's either, you know, burns of some type, skin burns, uh there's some eye flash that occurs, you know, if they're using something that's illegal. And of course, you know, there's always that uh, situation with the illegal use of fireworks where somebody loses fingers or uh, you know, some other body part is injured because uh, they're using it. I mean, the last thing you do, and, and, you know, we could have every law in the books that are out there, but people are still going to do what they do. Uh, if, if they're going to do them, they need to do it safely. And that's, you know, not be holding things. You've seen stories and heard them on on, on the news uh, where, where folks have held fireworks to the very last second and think that they could then release it. And unfortunately, that's not uh, the way it works out. Um, but and then we're trying to relight a firework and maybe doesn't go off. That's another dangerous thing to do. Um, and, and doing them and using them in, in areas where it's just, it's just not uh, uh, sensible to do it. Like I said earlier, open wide areas, you know, have a, 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 some extinguishing material available if, in case something does go bad, first aid kits, and obviously make sure somebody's got a phone nearby to dial 911 if, if something bad occurs. You know, you've established that uh, even though uh, many of these products are illegal in Pennsylvania that, and they still are being sold, uh, is there ever any crackdown on uh, those who sell them or those who use them? Well, you know, with the illegal type, and I, and I you know, law enforcement gets so caught up in, in the the several days before and the several days after the 4th of July, if there are complaints that, that neighbors make because they see some illegal use of fireworks being handled, and if they call the police and then they're able to get there in time to see the activity going on, obviously the individuals can be arrested if they're using the wrong type of fireworks that aren't legal in Pennsylvania. 
they're confiscated, and uh, you know they they do have then a legal issue that they have to deal with. But you know when you got everybody in the area is setting off some type of thing, I mean the, the police officers, uh, unfortunate for them, uh, sometimes they just don't know where to go. They may go to the ones where they see some of the large uh, aerial type things going off and trying to stop that activity, but. They can't be everywhere either, and, and all they could do is uh, do what's best. And let's face it, though, sometimes there's things that are much more important that they have to deal with, uh, and, and with their numbers at the at the uh, level that they are, they they can't be, meet every uh, uh, situation that s- folks may call in on. Uh, you know, especially if there's injuries involved or something else going on, those are the ones they're going to prioritize. Commissioner, obviously, you want to prevent fires and you know, everything having to do with fire. You, you are researching, looking at. We had a listener, Linda, who asked, uh, "Has there have there been incidents where fireworks have started fires, like say in wooded areas?" And I only have about sixty seconds left. Uh, yes, uh, the, the short answer is yes. It has occurred. And, uh, you know, you've seen situations where folks have used these these uh, lantern things that they'll light up in the air. It has a little fire burning in it that yes. makes the heat that lifts it up. That's caused barn fires in areas. Uh, so even if you're in an open area, it doesn't mean it's completely safe. But, yeah, fires have occurred. The other thing I want to mention, mention real quickly, you, you know, on your previous uh, um, segment, you talked about our military veterans that have issues. Also, along with them is your pets. You need to be very careful with your pets and trying to make sure you secure them so that uh, the loud noises that do occur from the, either the the professional commercial uh, programs or those illegal ones that are going on uh, doesn't harm or hurt them. Pennsylvania's Fire Commissioner Tim Salabay. Commissioner, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. And with all that said, enjoy your 4th of July holiday. And, uh, yes, there will be a number of uh, those uh, professional fireworks displays throughout the area, and I'm sure that uh, many of you will be enjoying them as well. Coming up on Monday's program, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we were talking a little bit about some mental illness today. We're going to be talking about some mental illness, a different kind of mental illness on Monday's show, and how police officers are being trained today to... uh, deal, negotiate, work with those who may be suffering from a mental illness. That's coming up on Wednesday's program. Have a nice holiday. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute's team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians assistants, and rehabilitation specialists, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures.